Where to begin? Well, let's begin a little bit of a recap of last week. So while I was gone, Reverend Sharon introduced a new book for us. Well, it's not a brand new book by any means, but it's a wonderful book that we haven't really used in church before called The Gift of Change, Marianne Williamson. Most of you know Marianne Williamson, kind of one of the current luminaries in the new thought world. If you have not read a book by her, even if it's not this one, like, like go out and get a book by Marianne Williamson. Any one of them, they're all a treat. I know we have this one in the bookstore. That's the end of my sales pitch. <laughs> okay, it, it's, uh, it's worth a wonderful read. And what I got from Sharon's introduction, I want to summarize actually in two ways. What she said was, there are basically two general paths towards change happening in, one of our, in our lives. Kind of, kind of two ways that changes occur. And I'm going to illustrate one of them with our joke. All right. <laughs> Uh, now, this one, I tried to verify the veracity of this, and I have to admit, just because I found two websites that said this was real, I guess, you know, you be the judge. But in theory, this is the transcript of an actual radio conversation of a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October of 1995. So this radio conversation was released by the Chief of Naval Operations on November 10th, 1995. Okay, first off, the American ship. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians respond, recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. It's like, how typical is this, right? Back to the Americans. This is the, now I love this part, this is us. This is the captain of a U.S. <laughs> Navy ship, and I say again, divert your course. The Canadians reply, no, I say again, you divert, you, you divert your course. Then the Americans, and this is written all in uppercase, so you can imagine how it probably sounded. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. I know, it's all about size, isn't it? We have, we have three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels accompanying us. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures, I love this, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. And the Canadians' final reply was, um, well, okay, but we're a lighthouse. <laughs> All right, so, so this, is, this is one of the ways when we're invited to make a change in our course, right? This is one of the ways in which we respond, right? Total resistance, you know? I've got my course mapped out. I know where I'm going. I know how it's supposed to play out. I know, you know, my life is laid before me all in plans. Who are you to be a lighthouse in my path, right? And doesn't it almost feel that way when that resistance to change comes up it's like the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. It's one of those things where, you know, you just know pain's going to follow. Now that is one way of meeting change. The other way that Sharon talked about last week is being proactive in a very specific and, and perhaps way that we don't think of all the time. In the science of mind, we believe that our thoughts outpicture in the world. So the changes that are coming at us right now, 
Whether it be feast or famine, whether it be love or turmoil, whether it be you know, the graciousness of life itself or maybe going through a hard patch, science of mind would teach that this is simply a reflection of our own thoughts held closely to us. And so if this is true, should we not be able to orchestrate, literally co-create, the changes that we want to have happen rather than being in complete resistance like a, like a lighthouse, like a ship, rather than being in complete resistance to changes that are coming our way. Now, I don't want to say that it's either or, but I will say that we all have the opportunity of looking at change in our life from these different perspectives. Now, sometimes I absolutely agree. Sometimes I, I don't want anyone to beat themselves up saying, you know, this misery in my life right now, I've caused it. Well, thank you very much, Reverend Larry. <laughs> you know, this is not the comfort. This is not the message that I want to hear. And, and absolutely, don't go there. Don't go there. Sure, we have created our reality as it is right now. This is simply a learning point, right? Because what I know is the very next step, we can be in more conscious command of what's going on in our life. The very next step is we can start approaching change differently. So today's talk is remembering who we are and following on from Sharon's message last week, the reason I think that so often we miss this chance of being a more conscious participant in the changes of in our life is that we don't even know who we are. We literally have forgotten who we are. And I, I, wanna, um, I want to uh, actually give us a very brief European history lesson, if you don't mind, because I think it helps illustrate this. A few hundred years ago, when um, literally famines could wipe, you know, wipe out hundreds of thousands of people or, or throw in a good bubonic plague here and there, life was very different than it was now. Literally, that if the flu goes around, 30% of the population could have passed on. And so a few hundred years ago in Europe, the monarchy establishments were very interesting. Literally, a, a lord or a lady of a rather minor stature in maybe the Italian court could one day wake up to couriers at her or his door with a letter saying, hey, you're now the Queen of England. Literally, it was, I guess today's equivalent could be, you know, maybe winning the lottery, only, only in a more permanent and stable way. Literally, they would have whisked you by carriage, you know, taken you by ship, and suddenly, like Mary Queen of Scots or someone else, you literally could be the queen or the king of an entire kingdom. I want to tell you, you already are that king or that queen. We are born absolutely whole, absolutely perfect. We are born out of that stuff and substance of God itself. And each of us, without doing a thing, without any struggle, without any effort, we are already that queen or that king. We have the full power of God backing us up in all that we choose, all that we do, and all that we think. Now, again, there are those of you out there who are thinking, well, then why has it turned out exactly like this? You know, I'd rather the idea that if I said off with their heads, it actually worked that way, rather than when I say off with their heads, people say, yeah, right, we'll start with you. <laughs> well, I think, I think this is because we have simply forgotten that truth about ourselves. 
Now you might say to yourself, how do we forget our birthright? If it is true that we are born out of cosmic love, if there is only one agency on this planet as it is on every planet, that agency is God, that agency is good, and we are made out of that God stuff, we are made with that God intention, then why does my life so often look murky? Why am I not so clearly able to see that perfection, that love that is my absolute birthright? I think one of the key reasons is we are actually trained to forget that. And there are a couple different ways that society, that our parents, that our schools, that we ourselves even play into this ability, if you will, to forget who we are. And I want to read a, a short extract from, from the book, The Gift of Change, to illustrate this. We are taught that grades, credentials, past influences, mistakes, marriages, divorces, degrees, resumes, monies, parents, children, or houses, whatever label or identity someone wants to stick onto us, we believe that this is our essence. And as a consequence, we forget who we really are. Now think about this one for a minute. Because these are very familiar labels. And I'm, I'm a little concerned that I'm going to push a few buttons here in a minute. And it's Valentine's Day and I want to have it be all about love and comfort and joy. And, and I guess for a minute at least to heck with that. Because I want... <laughs> Because I think it's important that we recognize that some of these labels that we go by, whether it be mother, whether it go, be sister, whether it be husband, with these labels, not only come all of the good baggage with those labels, but also along with it comes all the negative baggage. You know, every bad mother that ever existed, every bad husband that ever existed, every poor student that ever existed. When we classify ourselves with these little convenient labels that we use over and over again, very innocently, we're buying into the idea of, I am represented by a group as a whole. And so with those good aspects are all of society's judgments about what is a good mother, about what is a good student, about what is the perfect wife. And I've got to tell you, these things change with time, they change with location, and they change nearly with the tide. I mean, if you think about what it was to be a good wife about 25 or 30 years ago, as opposed it is today, I mean, thank heavens, there is some progress in the world, right? We're not all in our 50s gowns and nylons, you know, trying to vacuum the floors, waiting for the, the good husband to come home at night. But I want to tell you, that's, that's a kind of a crisp example that most of us can relate to. But the same thing has happened to the labels of mother, of father, of sister, of teacher, of educator, of musician. And all of these things are fraught with the danger of us over-identifying with some kind of a standard that we can never literally hope to meet. This is how we have forgotten who we really are. If our true essence is love, does it really matter whether the house is clean when our partner comes home at night? If our true essence is beauty, does it really matter literally what we look like in the mirror? If our true essence is joy or hope or peace or wholeness or abundance, 
Does it actually matter from any one moment to the next what the balance of our checkbook is, what kind of car we drive, right? Whether we have the latest in, in fashions, you know, whether we're doing the right, you know, the quote, socially right things to do. I suggest that it doesn't. I suggest that our ability to transcend some of these labels that either um, unwittingly, you know, labels often are just kind of given to us. Oh, you're a, you're a doctor, you know. Here are all the list of things that goes with being a doctor. You know, poor bad side manner, you know, giant ego. No, I'm laughing and I know some of my best friends are doctors. I'm looking at one of them out here in the audience today. Are these things, and the trouble with all these labels, right, is they come with a heavy price of what society tends to view going with these things are. And so they can be useful. I, I made up actually a little list here because the other thing we tend to do too is we tend to almost wear them as like a little badge or a little monogram on our sleeve sometimes. And some of them aren't that useful at all, I don't think. Uh, I, like I'm a dyslexic or I'm a slow learner or I'm easily hurt. I'm overly sensitive. I'm bad at relationships. How many times a day do you hear people say things like this? And anytime we say I am with some words trailing after it, it's just as though you put, you know, put a monogram right, you know, right on your jacket for all to see. And more importantly, for you personally to hold dear to you. Every I am statement is almost like a prayer. It's almost like you saying, yes, this is me, and I'm proud of it. And so when we say things, even when it's useful, I mean, going in to be tested, for instance, for dyslexia, could be useful information, right? Because we might learn new techniques of, of reading better and retaining what we read better. I mean, there are useful reasons someone goes and get tests. There are useful reasons that people recognize that perhaps they process information a little differently. There are useful reasons that people maybe are aware of bad relationship choices that they've had in the past. But when they use that, when we use that to label ourselves, what we are doing is simply perpetuating that condition. And I know some people, and here I know that someone afterward is going to come up really very angry with me, but even sometimes when, when it's our best interest, like saying something like, I'm a cancer survivor. Now you might say, Larry, what could possibly be wrong with labeling ourselves as a cancer survivor? I've got to tell you, the survivor part is wonderful. But when we over-identify with words, any kind of words, what we're just as apt to seize on in our own mind is the cancer part of that as we are the survivor part of that. Be very, very careful of the labels that we choose to identify ourselves with. It's a way of self-identity that can bring about absolutely more of the same. Do we really want to be a cancer survivor for the rest of our life? Or is that simply a stage that we went through towards regaining our wholeness and perfection that is already there. And at some point, I'm no longer a cancer survivor. I'm simply love. I'm simply health. I'm simply beauty. I'm simply goodness. Think about that one. I think these are the main two reasons that we forget who we really are. It's because we have a long list of who we think we are. 
We think we're a slow learner. We, we think we're bad at relationships. We, we think that we have limitations in the business world. We think that we're bad performers or not any good at singing. We, we think all of the lack and limitation that anyone ever had the audacity to tell us we are, we take it in, and half the time we magnify it and make it even worse. I remember when I was probably about five years old, I brought home an art project from school. And I can still remember the comment that my mom made, which was, you know, a little less than her praising my artistic ability. Now, I can take one example like that from childhood. And for years, those things can persist and be magnified in our own minds. Now, do I absolutely know that I'm no good at art? Quite the contrary. But this has taken many years of my own thought processes, my own almost having to prove it to myself to recognize that creativity and the ability to create beauty lie not only in me, but everyone in this room. How many, of, how many people in this room were told at some point along the way that we, we kind of had a reverse gift, if you will? That we were perhaps not that good at singing or not that good at art. That, that you know, you're never going to make it as a, nearly everyone in this room at some point in our lives was told that we were no good at something. And for most of us, we spent a good many years trying to prove that it was so. By either avoiding that activity, repeating to ourselves, I'm just no good at that. No, I don't want to dance. Thank you for asking me. I'm no good at dancing. <laughs> I have two left feet. What, you know, whatever it may be, we have spent years improving that. Well, today, today, at the risk of pushing all of your buttons, I say let go of that hogwash. You are all capable of whatever it is that you want to achieve. Just let it go. Let, and I would say, for once, let's even throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's go ahead and throw out all the labels that have ever been given to us, even if on the surface it sounded like a good label. And here's why. Here is why. When we mentally identify with the realm of the body, we see scarcity and death. When we mentally identify with the realm of spirit, we see endless love, unlimited possibility, and the oneness of all things. The only way we will have whole lives is if we dwell within the wholeness of our true selves. And we are whole when we are one with God. The word holy refers to our connection to God, and outside this connection, we are disassociated from our own true essence. Now, um, you know, many years ago, we used to have a kind of a ritual that we did most Sundays where the kids would come up and do a little candle lighting ceremony. And, and the way it went was the, the child would say, God is love. And the congregation would repeat to the child, and so I am love. And it went on with peace and joy and uh, abundance and truth and beauty. And what I want to tell you is, this is your true self. If ever you are in doubt of what your true self is, you need go no further than those simple affirmations of what God is. In your own mind, picture the most loving, the most beautiful, the most abundant, the most joyous, the most peaceful, the most creative, the most truthful, the most whatever God that you can muster up in your heart to imagine. And that is simply you. That is simply what you are on any given day.
Now on the outside, it may not match with that. And you know what? I don't care. What's happening on the outside is certainly stuff that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. But so very often, so very, very often, it has very little to do with the truth of who we are. I'm reminded simply of a bumper sticker that I saw not too long ago. Yeah, and I have to admit, I, I fall under that dictate of, oh my God, look at that. Look at that cool bumper sticker. And here, in a country of Christians, mostly, I mean, it is the predominant relation here in America anyway, the bumper sticker simply said, who would Jesus bomb today? I want you to think about this, not just as a bumper sticker, but what this means in terms of our own authentic selves. And have a bit of homework. I know it's Valentine's Day. And in fact, I want to extend Valentine's Day beyond the confines of this one, this one day in terms of your homework for this week. All right, so what does Valentine's Day mean? To me, anyway, it means A, loving up as best I can the people who are important to me. Family, friends, you know, doing my best to be that aspect of love in their life. And occasionally, I have to admit, it means kind of making up for some things that didn't go so well. And so there are going to be some flowers in the offing uh, tonight for my honey. Uh, And this is cool. And you know, this is absolutely cool as well. Whatever love means to you, let's play that up on this special day, whether it be a dinner out, whether it just be resting in the arms of the people that you love, whether they're physically present or maybe whether they're thousands of miles away. You all know ways of bringing the people close to you that matter. And I want you to extend this beyond Valentine's Day, certainly into this week if you can, and if you can, even beyond that with this week's homework. And this week's homework is simply when you come to a choice point, whatever it might be, it might be a small choice like what I'm going to make for dinner tonight, it might be a big choice like, like uh, you know, my 18-year-old son wants to move out and, and be on his own and like he has no job and I'm really worried about it and what am I going to do? Could be a small choice point, could be something really big. I want you to simply ask yourself, how would I, as love, handle this? How would I, as an instrument of God's love, participate in this decision? In other words, who would I bomb today, right? We all have such an important role to play in not only our own lives, but in the people that are closest to us. And so for this week, as a Valentine's present, every time you have a choice point, and this is a Valentine present to yourself, as well as a Valentine present to the people around you, simply ask from that place of your own authenticity, remembering absolutely who you are, how would I, as love, approach this decision? All right, I'm going to end with one more quote and a prayer. That's your homework. I want to get some feedback from you next week on how it went. I think it'll make a big difference in your life. I have learned when my life has been most painful that the me who can be hurt is not the real me. The woman in me, the professional in me, the writer in me, the teacher in me, what do they all mean? Are they not but bricks in a spiritual prison?
I'm going to read that one again. The woman in me, the professional in me, the writer in me, the teacher in me. What do they all mean? Are they but not bricks in a spiritual prison seeking to circumscribe my life when in fact my life cannot be circumscribed? What difference does it make if someone betrays me when my real self, my spirit, cannot be betrayed? Is it not an insult, an opportunity for me to look at the part of myself that can be insulted and say, that's not even really me? Is not the true self beyond sickness? Then who gets sick? Is not the true self unlimited? Then who is it that can be imprisoned? Is not the true self eternal? Then who is it that dies? If you are as God created you, then no mistakes you've ever made or anyone's judgments or negative opinions about you can in any way determine who you are or change your inestimable value. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe, and it is this thing called love. And I know that love is moving in, around, and through each person in this room, through me. It is this room itself. It is God itself as love. And because God is everywhere present, I know that love is everywhere present, this day and every day. And so from this place of love, I claim for each person in this room that this day and this week and beyond remains the true Valentine. That this week and this day and beyond represent a time when perhaps more than ever before it's easy for us to let go of self-identifications that are limiting, that box us in, that keep us from being even more authentically and powerfully who we are. I know that each person here has that greater awareness of when it is time to let go of some identification with the physical world that no longer serves and instead moves back into the reality of spirit. Pure love, joy, inner peace, wisdom, complete abundance. These are the aspects of our lives that are eternal. And so for each person here in this room, I simply know that that eternal nature, that permanent and unchangeable nature of each of our lives is made more prominent this week and the following week and the week beyond that, ushering in a co-creative world of changes that represent love, that represent peace, power, whatever it is that our heart's desire wishes more of is simply here for everyone. And I'm grateful for this. I'm so grateful to be back from vacation, grateful to be here on Valentine's Day, grateful to know that the love of God is present in the affairs of each person in this room and that each person's special family and friends are here to celebrate in love, whether it be in actual form, whether it be through the power of that one mind that brings to us our loved ones every day and every way. I simply let it be, and together we all say, and so it is. Thank you very much, and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you.